This is episode 16 of OutlanderCast with Mary and Blake. People disappear all the time. Most are found. Eventually. Disappearances, after all, have explanations. Usually. It's a podcast dedicated to the show Outlander on Stars. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Mary Larson. My name is Blake, and I'm feeling like a million bucks today. Why? Well, you know, my birthday as the day we're recording this. Yes, it is. Mary got me an awesome massage for my birthday gift. I got my favorite cake on the planet, you know, and that there's we're going to get Outlander in one month, almost exactly to the day. And we have Anna Forrester on our show. You can't get better than that. I mean, Bear McCreary was, was pretty cool, too, but oh. it wasn't your birthday, and you sure didn't get cake on that day. Ba- I'll tell you what, Bear McCreary didn't suck, but today, <laughs> today is a special day. I got all this stuff happening at once. It's great. It is so amazing. My goodness. You know, I I was complaining for so long that there was such a hiatus, a long hiatus in between the two parts of the first season, and now it's almost here. I know. It's like it's right here, right now. It's going to happen in one month's time. You know, having Bear McCreary's soundtrack on the CD and being able to just treasure that and listen to it. And being able to give it away to listeners, by the way. That uh, was, that's so, that's cool. so cool. Yes. Thank you for everyone who entered our giveaway. And for those of you who were able to listen to our previous episode where we did interview the composer Bear McCreary, that's helped keep me company. Yes, it has. Not going to lie. <laughs> and I also have begun pretend dancing the druids dance (laughs) (laughs) and that's not a lie guys she actually as as our theme song was happening she was dancing yeah like this really sultry kind of like maneuver if i could have i would have taken my scarf and like thrown it it in the air yeah it would have just hit my microphone and then you would have known and now i just outed myself (laughs) but if you haven't had a chance to download the soundtrack yet you really really should and if you're having a terrible time I'm missing Outlander and you aren't able to get it on your televisions, it is available to be purchased on iTunes so you can watch it wherever you go. Anytime, any place, anywhere. There's only a month left, guys. But who knows? This could be a long month now that I'm saying this. <laughs> to help keep you company, though, we made sure to get you an awesome interview. Yeah. Anna Forster, if you don't know, is the director of not only the ever famous wedding episode, but she was indeed the director of the midseason finale, Both Sides Now. And everybody is looking so forward to the new premiere of, of, of the mid-season premiere, right? And and you should. You should look forward to it. I think it's important that you look forward to it because now you, you get, you're getting new Outlander. But we decided, you know, we want to go back. We want to go back to what happened right before uh, th- this mid-season premiere because it's ultimately it's important. And while everyone's looking forward, it's time to reflect on what happened and what got us into the position that we're in now. And having Anna Forrester on is the perfect opportunity to do that. So ultimately, this was the idea behind this episode. Before we begin, we just want to let you know that our interview with Anna Forrester is presented today by the Tag Your It Etsy shop. Please visit them at www.tagyourit.biz. That's B-I-Z. Join 
joining us now is Anna Forrester, an accomplished visual effects artist, cinematographer, and director whose most notable works include films such as Independence Day, Pitch Black, The Day After Tomorrow, 2012, and White House Down. She's also directed numerous episodes of television for shows such as Criminal Minds, Unforgettable, and Army Wives. But we all know her as the director of the episodes The Wedding and Both Sides Now for our favorite show on stars, Outlander. Anna, thank you so much for joining us on Outlander Cast today. Yeah, you're very welcome. I'm very much looking forward to talking to you about all this. Oh, and we are pumped too. So let's just jump in. Can you tell us how you got the job with Outlander and if you were a fan of Outlander beforehand? Well, it was almost um, way over a year ago, actually. My agent called me and said, hey, I have this really interesting project uh, that came on, landed on my table, and they are interested, they're looking for directors, and um, they would like to meet, and I have four scripts for you to read, and uh, you should read it. And I have heard about Outlander, but I... I haven't read the book. So I decided before uh, I wanted to read the scripts that I have to read the book. So I kind of, I ordered the book. And as you know, it's like super, super thick. <laughs> and uh, I tried to read as quick as I could. And I uh, got the um, the audio as well. So I was reading and listening and reading like for the next few days. And I got completely hooked on this. And um, then I read the scripts, the four first scripts, and um, I thought it was just amazing what they did with it because not only they had the um, they, they took the book as a blueprint and then just said, okay, we make a, an episode in the essence of Outlander, but on the other hand, they didn't go and say, hey. Um, you know, we we are slaves to the book and we make exactly everything as it is in the book. And I was really excited what they started doing with this. And then I went into the meetings and I met with one more and we discussed, uh, you know, we discussed, discussed what they were up to. And um, I was really, really excited that I um, they asked me to do uh, the wedding and the mid-season finale. And then eventually, actually, I ended up doing the uh, season finale as well. But the funny thing is as well that all the... As I was reading it, I thought, okay, there are like three things in the book, and I won't spoil anything now, but there are three things in the book that I think are really, really challenging and exciting from a directing point of view. And one of them was uh, the wedding, and then the other thing uh, was the end uh, of the book, obviously, which is now the, the season finale. So I was actually really excited that I ended up with both of those, you know, really exciting, but as well challenging things to do. It's like you won a lottery ticket. Not yeah, only did absolutely. you get to direct such a series that you, you know, a book that you like, but you got two really of the three important things that you're talking about. Absolutely. And it, I mean, it was exciting on one hand, but it was scary on the other hand, because, you know, um, there is, uh, there's quite a bit of pressure in terms of like, okay, so there are all those fans, uh, that read the book. So, okay, so now you have to come up with something. You have to deliver something that, that is, um, you know, that is good. So it was, it was fun. It was great. Oh, awesome. Well, we want to talk to you about the wedding episode in particular. So what was the set like during the filming of the wedding? Was everyone really keenly aware of how significant it was to the fans? I know that you just said you knew, but how was kind of the mood and everything on on the set? You know, it's funny. I think it started out it is mostly in pre-production that everybody was very aware about how how important that episode is and how uh, you know, how anticipated it is. It was more so in pre-production and getting ready with everything and deciding on the, the set, uh, dressing and the costume and the, all those things. But once we were on the set and we were actually shooting, this is this amazing thing that always happens in a way that all that pressure from outside kind of falls away. Uh, and it's all coming from within. You're all, you're all kind of worried about what's happening on the set in the moment, how you make it the best at the moment where, when you're working. So it's, it's kind of something, um, that I have experienced before that the moment you're actually working on it and you're on the set, that pressure from outside or that expectation kind of vanishes. 
uh, concerning the wedding, one of the things that I really loved about that episode is the nonlinear storytelling device that you guys used. What was the driving force behind that? Was that something that you decided? Was that Ron Moore? Or was that something that you decide, both decided in conjunction together? Um, that was something that was in, uh, decided in the writer's room uh, with Ron Moore and, and Kenny who wrote the script. Uh, and I think it was a genius idea because – um, you're talking about how anticipated that that episode is like, okay, so people were waiting for it, but now uh, it comes to you in a way that you're getting teased and you have to wait even more. You're getting it piece by piece. And as you move forward, you get little, you know, in pieces of information that, that, you know, advances the story, but in a, in a weird way, it, it uh, extends the waiting game uh, in a kind of elegant way. So I thought uh, that was, that was great. And we, you know, we just run with it and uh, and used it as, uh, you know, to our advantage. I loved it because when the, the the episode opens up and they're already married and they're in the room, and I remember looking at it saying, "Oh my God, did they actually make the choice to just forget the wedding altogether and show you the <laughs> after effects?" Exactly. I, I thought it was great because obviously, as a non-book reader, you know, I, I'm just viewing the show as its own. And yeah. I thought that was a really bold choice. And then I was, and then I realized, oh no, 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 they're going to tell the story in different pieces. I, I love that. I thought it was great. Whereas I, being a book reader, I sat there and I said, "Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> they just skipped the wedding. I, what is going on?" And but in, of course, we come to find out that no, you brilliant people of Outlander, <laughs> you 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 decided to to show us a different way and be able to have the nonlinear storytelling. And speaking of that, we did. We got to see so much of Frank in that episode. And as a book reader and as a Jamie lover, um, it was great for me to see the scenes with Claire and Frank. And I wanted to know how present Frank was on Claire's mind as the wedding night went along. And is this something that we can falter on or are we meant as as the viewers of the show to sympathize with her? Well, I think um, Frank was in the beginning quite present um, because the decision, the decision she made to marry Jamie was very pragmatic. It was uh, to escape Blackjack Randall and in a funny way as well to have an opportunity to walk as a freer woman now, not being constantly watched by Dougal and everything and having a possibility to make it maybe quicker back to Frank. So in a, in a, in a way, in the beginning, in a very pragmatic way, I think there was something that was absolutely on her mind and it was justified. I think the, the wedding as such in her mind was completely justified. Um, and then um, it, we go with her and that's what I like about it. And it's not that we can, we want to judge her for it. We go with her on that journey, how she slowly falls for this man and she gets enthralled by him. And when she, for the first time, has um, sex with him, which, you know, she feels like, okay, so it's his first time. I'm in control. You know, this is what it is. Let's get done with it. And, and suddenly, she realizes and he asks her, so did you like it? And she realizes, oh my God, I did. And that's when she realizes, okay, so this is, this is, this is bad. I just committed adultery because I liked it. It's not like to save my ass and get back to Frank. It's like, oh my God, I liked it. And then I think it's very, I mean, we realize that it's, uh, she walks away from him. That's when she wants to leave the room and everything. So I think that's the moment when Frank is very, very present. But then, uh, again, we're going with her on this journey, how she gets sucked into this uh, relationship with with Jamie. And I feel once they're having sex the second time, and I call it having sex and then later making love, which is a very different, uh, you know, has a very different tone. Um, I think Frank is not on her mind all the way until the next morning when that ring falls on the ground. And she realizes, oh, my God, what have I done? But not only what have I done by marrying, what have I done uh, by falling for this man? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think I think he's very present in the beginning and then again in the end. And I think we I, I don't judge her for that. I think we she judges herself for it and she does it for us. Um, so, yeah, I think because we go with her on that journey, we really I, I emphasize with her and I feel I feel for her. 
Well, since you brought it up, let, let's let's talk about it because I want I want to talk about the sex scenes because they were, <laughs> you know, they were extraordinary and it, in you're right there was a specific evolution of their of their relationship, um, you know, and it, it was visually told in the sex scenes. But how did you decide on what you could and could not show with the camera angles and what what was the what was the scene like and explain to me um, what what the situation was like while while you're filming it. Well, I mean, the advantage uh, we had on this on this episode, and because it was only two people in a room, we had actually the advantage to uh, rehearse certain things before, and that was extremely, extremely helpful because we could, uh, you know, away from the pressure of shooting and away from being on the set and you know fully closed without uh, any you know anyone watching or listening, we could actually work our way through all the emotional beats first that happen in the in the first uh in the first time they have sex the second time and then the third time and once we had that figured out exactly we kind of choreographed it the movements basically almost like a you would choreograph a stunt or something so you really figured out in a, you know, you blocked it in a way. Okay. So who is standing? Who is sitting? Why is that? Who is moving towards whom? Um, and then how are we ending up on the bed and where do we end up? And then it becomes kind of important to figure all this out, how you can show this with the camera, because certain, certain positions, certain movements we need to figure out in a way. So it becomes a pleasing image. Uh, and we actually see what we want to see and we don't see the things we can't show. So that was actually a really great uh, thing that we had the opportunity to rehearse that, and then um, and then it's it's just um, you know it's it's still very awkward because you're when you shoot it actually you have to be aware like we decided on that there is no frontal nudity but we decided that we can see uh, you know uh, back nude and. Um, that is not sometimes sometimes easier said than done because people are moving and uh, the camera uh, operators are moving and you don't want to have like just still images so it becomes you know it becomes an interesting dance between uh, the camera operator and uh, the actors to kind of make that happen but f- to to have that kind of planned out i mean it, it maybe it didn't seem like this and i hope it didn't seem like this but there went a lot of planning and rehearsing and choreographing into it that it actually felt natural and not like contrived what we can't show and what we show were you behind the camera yourself to make sure you got exactly what you envisioned um no i was not behind the camera but it was we had a closed set which is sometimes what you do when you have a uh you know sex scenes or people or, or scenes with nudity that means you're um you're basically having a minimal crew in the set and there are no monitors outside. So it's, it's just like, it's, uh, myself and, um, the two camera operators and the sound are in the room and that's most likely it. And, um, it was almost like I could sometimes speak. I had small, two small monitors where I could uh, see the two camera uh, angles, but I was sometimes talking through the operators and through the actors during the scene. It was a very awkward thing. It started sometimes almost like a choreography, like we sometimes did certain things again, and I was speaking to the to the camera operators, and then again, and I was speaking uh, to Katrina. And Sam, I mean, sometimes you have like some very specific shots, like for example, how um, she traces uh, with her hand um, around his back, um, and that's something you want to. You have a, I have a very clear idea of what I want to see, and then it needs a few takes how you get to this, and you actually talk over it, and it's um, sometimes becomes very technical. And then, you know, everybody laughs and it's fine. And, and we have a, we have a, you know, it's kind of, sometimes it's kind of so awkward that everybody, you know, just laughs and it's, it's a, you know, it's an easy, it's an easy, um, you know, it, it's, it was actually, we had a pretty good time on set. It's, it's, it's awkward. There's no way around it, but, um, Sam and Katrina, they were such troopers. And, uh, because we had that time to rehearse in the, f- uh, in before, we kind of gained really trust in each other. And so we had actually a pretty good time on set. 
Can you describe Sam and Katrina's chemistry and how was it to direct their relationship, especially regarding in this episode? I mean, they have a great chemistry to start off. They're friends in real life, and um, that's actually a great basis for their, for their relationship um, in the story and particularly in the wedding because that's how the wedding starts off. They're starting off as friends. Um, so that is really like that's a great a great base. Um, the relationship between them obviously goes through very different stages and and um, has different nuances. And that's where you come in as director, where you help them shape it. So yes, they make it easy for you. But absolutely, I mean that's that's uh, you know that's your part as director that you come in and you kind of start shaping this. What How do you is, shape that? Like I, that's one of the things I'm trying to understand as a director. Do you kind of like sit down and have coffee with them beforehand, or is it do you go in during the filming and give them a towel and say? Right. Here's here's another way I want you to think about it. Or yeah, it's it's actually both of it. I mean, we first started obviously with those rehearsals um, where we just talk and we figure things out, and we kind of it's more like the emotional beats. But then when you're on the set and you sometimes just want to change a nuance of something, and there are so many different techniques, but the both of them, Sam and Katrina, are absolute fantastic listeners. And listeners, I don't mean like listening to me, I mean like listening to the other actor. And that is so crucial for uh, for actors in general to, I mean, I think it's almost 90% of acting is that they are really good listeners to the other, other person they are acting with. And because of that, what you can go and go in is you give a little adjustment to one of them. So let's say I would say to Jamie, um, okay, so on, on this take, um, just challenge her. Uh, same words, same same dialogue, everything same, but just challenge her. So he does that and sure enough, Katrina reacts to it in a different way. And then you go to the next take and say, okay, so now this time uh, back her. I mean, that's a, that's a, I'm, I'm making now a, a random example, but sure enough, what happens, she is, you know, reacting because she's a very good listener. She's reacting in a different way. And so you sometimes, even after having discuss, discussed like the, the broad strokes about what this is about emotionally, you can just like fine tune it within the scene by doing things like that. Or even you do some crazy things. And the, the funny thing is they were both completely up for this. Like, for example, there's this moment with, um, Jamie and Katrina, uh, Jamie and, and Claire, when um, uh, Rupert and Angus leave the room finally and she says to him, she sits on the bed and she says, uh, it gets late, uh, maybe we should go to bed. And we shot that a few times and I took Katrina aside and said, okay, so next time we do that take and Sam didn't hear that, just tell him, get over here and let's fuck. <laughs> so, so sure enough, because he's a good listener, right? She, she says this, and you have that split second of a reaction in his eyes, which is just fantastic. And that's that's what's in the that's what's in the cut now. So that's kind of like all you have all kind of different techniques and things where you can shape this on set. I mean, sometimes you just have a very you know straightforward discussion about something technical then you can talk about um something emotional but then when it gets to the real kind of fine-tuning little things then that's what you do like you kind of you kind of play with with real little adjustments that kind of form the nuances of the performance so concerning both sides now the the mid-season finale um can you explain the challenge of trying to make the stories or the two stories between frank and claire flow properly together well, I mean, I think the challenge starts with the moment that it's not in the book. So um, it was really interesting because when I was reading the book, I was thinking all the time, oh, what's happening with Frank? What's happening um, What's happening at that time, in, in his time? And sure enough, I kind of got to answer it in, in my own way. Um, but it's definitely difficult to have two storylines going parallel um, and still feeling connected with them. And um, sometimes we took some really bold choices. Like, for example, at the beginning, he had this, uh, Frank had this conversation with the, um, in the, with, in the police station. And he says, uh, my wife is not with another man. And then sure enough, you cut to the next image and she sits there with another man. And that's like kind of a really bold way of going between the two, between the two 
storylines and it's almost you f you feel for frank because you think like oh my god uh uh claire is you know claire is indeed sitting there with another man and then again you have the end of the scene you have her uh realizing oh uh she looks down at her ring uh with frank and then you end up at the um with frank as well looking at his ring and you kind of connect them in this way. So I think there were like playful ways of connecting those pieces, even from the beginning to kind of give it a certain flow. Um, and then obviously for the end, when they both run up the hill, um, we had to find ways to make that um, believable and make that believable that they're both running up the hill, but in different times. And, we used some interesting uh, things as well, like in-camera shots. For example, when you're up on the on at Cracknadoon at the big at the big rock, there's this moment when um, Frank is is uh, yelling for her. He's, he uh, yells her name, and you're basically going with his scream over the over the stone, and you come out on the other side, and you're in. Um, in Claire's world, and what happened is, while you go through that stone, you uh, the colors and everything shifted, and you're in her time. And it's the same thing we did, like for example, when she gets uh, dragged away in the wagon, and Frank walks away to his car. This is one continuous shot, but the transition from one time in the other happened while the camera is traveling past that stone. So we were kind of finding interesting ways to keep that storyline connected in a visual way. You said in camera, uh, j just mm -hmm. for you know someone as ignorant as, as me, by in camera, what do you mean? What I mean was that it's not a visual effect, meaning it's not like some kind of a composite of one one shot on one end and then you you uh, put something in on the other side or it's not a cut. So what what happened really is you have... Uh, Katrina and the Redcoats walking her to the va wagon on one side. And the camera is moving, and while the camera, just a split second while it's behind that that rock, um, all the settings for the color shift into Frank's world. So while the camera moves outside on the other side of the of the rock, we are in Frank's world, and we see his um, car, and we see him walking. So in camera means like there is no visual effect. It's all happening uh, in the shot. Speaking about that, that time and that part of that episode when frank and claire like could they actually could claire really hear frank are we supposed to uh feel that way during this scene or is that just something that we're supposed to be emotionally feeling like could she actually hear him calling for her okay so i think she could hear him inside her it's not it's not she didn't she didn't hear him like he's standing on top of that hill and yelling for her i think she could hear his voice within her um, and Frank definitely could not hear her. Frank would have liked to hear her. Frank would have loved so much to hear her, but there is absolutely no way he heard her. I mean, that's my take on it, but uh, it's the way how, you know, how I, I, I shot it, but you can interpret it way differently if you want to. I really loved this episode. I remember sitting down while I was watching it with Blake, and I said, this isn't in the book. This this isn't in the book. Oh, oh my gosh! Wow! Yeah, but, and it was but brilliant. When, when when you read when you read the book, a book, did you did you ever wonder like what's happening to Frank? What's happening back there? How long has she been gone? No, and that was I kind of felt bad because you know I would think you know being married myself, I was thinking okay, if I was suddenly back in the past and I was suddenly married to a stud, um, how <laughs> how often would I think about Blake? You know, and I really hey, whoa, I, whoa 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 time no, out. I'm being honest. I'm saying that I would be thinking about you and it's difficult because you you read through Claire's voice but um you know also being able to see scenes like the wedding it's I'm happy that we were able to feel this angst and to know what was going on with Frank because yeah partly when you especially just reading when I was reading Outlander I'm like what did Frank do like <laughs> did did time even pass you know what what was even going on in in her yeah. original time so yeah. I really really enjoyed it and I think it was absolutely brilliant 
Yeah, that, I mean, that's exactly what happened to me. I was, I was, when I was reading it, I was wondering this. And then sure enough, there comes an episode where it all gets explained. So yeah, that was fun. So in addition to, you know, adding this extra element where our heartstrings get pulled and we get reminded, oh yeah, she does wear two wedding rings. There's also this amazing juxtaposition of Frank and Blackjack Randall during this scene, especially when Frank is beating down the people who tried to take his money at the pub. We see mm-hmm. his eyes widen slightly and as he's tearing them apart, kind of like how Blackjack did. So is Frank supposed to be a mirror for Blackjack Randall and vice versa? Well, I think it would be too easy to say that one is a mirror of the other. I think the fun in this is that um, we and and um, um, Claire want to try to find this out. I mean, I think, um, yeah, they look alike, but I think it's more like, okay, they have similar... They have the same blood pulsing through their veins in a way because they are, they are related. Um, but I think if you, if you, uh, look at it as mirrors, I think it's too, it's too simple. I think we want to just see, okay, so how much of Frank is in Blackjack Randall and how much of it in the other way. I think it's like we want to find clues. We want to find like little, little, uh, things that tell us more about it. So I think it's not as, as uh, simple as just one mirroring the other. I think it's, it's more complex than that. And I think that's what's, uh, as well interesting to, to Claire. I mean, she looks at Blackjack Randall and she looks at him and sees some things of Frank in him. Mm-hmm. I saw this part, you know, Blackjack Randall in these types of times, I would just see a monster. And whereas, especially with this episode, being able to see things from Frank's point of view, I felt his pain. I felt his mm-hmm. anger. I I felt the just s- complete sadness that turns into, you know, crazed madness. But I didn't. It was very difficult. And whereas Blake being a non-book reader, it was fun to banter about this episode just for that exact reason. Mm. And my our listeners know that I am a widespread Frank supporter. I, I just I, I am in Frank's camp. All Blake's the afraid way. I am going to be transported back into Scotland. And- I know she's going to leave me for some hot <laughs> Scottish dude, and you know, like I got an accent. It's a Boston accent, and it's not a Scottish one. Um, no, but it, as it relates to Frank, there, there was some controversy. I mean, let's be honest about it about including Frank. Uh, so heavily in the mid-season finale. I loved it because you were right uh, when you were speaking about the, the time when you were reading the book. You wanted to know what what Frank was going through, and I personally want to know what Frank was going through too. Yes, the story is about Claire and Jamie, but Frank is so much a part of it, and I was so happy that you guys had included Frank's story in there. So, but... In terms of this controversy for a lot of the book readers, is this something that you and the production staff and the the cast, did did you anticipate that? I think you had to anticipate that. I mean, not maybe to that extent, but I think that's something you got to kind of expect. If you go that far away from the book and you kind of really um, put so much emphasis on this Frank that maybe we wanted to forget a little bit because Jamie is so amazing and Frank is so much in the background and suddenly we're getting um, a side of Frank where we see how much he loves her, how much he cares for her, how much he wants her back, how much he beats himself up for it so he has to actually beat somebody else up. I mean, there is so much emotion in this man that I think um, you know, I think it was great, but I think, I think it's, uh, it was, you know, to be expected that, that there's a controversy about it and that some people didn't like the idea. The other thing that I think was shocking, um, in, in this episode is how scary Tobias was <laughs> and as both characters. And we want to know kind of how scary he was in real life. You know, as uh, directing him, how how much he was able to really kind of bring that emotion to the set, not just what was conveyed on the camera. Yeah, I mean, Tobias is a is a fantastic actor, and he is an interesting actor because he comes from a very emo- uh, from a very intellectual point in the beginning. Like you have very intellectual conversations with him, uh, and then he gets into the character, and then he really gets into the character. I mean, I'm not sure if he's completely a method actor, but he is definitely, definitely embracing that character with every fiber in his body. So yes. 
when he is um, becoming blackjack, he becomes that person through and through. Um, really amazing. And uh, I, I had the, you know, I had the fortune to work with him on the season finale as well. That's yet to come up and without to, you know, without um, spoiling anything. There are some very, very uh, interesting scenes with, um, with Blackjack Randall, where it's just, it's amazing how, you know, how he embraces that, that character with every fiber of his body. So yes, he is, he is definitely scary when you, when you see him acting. And he is such a genuine, lovely person and intellectual person when you talk to him about the role. It's really amazing to see that. I've seen Tobias on other shows like Rome as Brutus and he was on Game of Thrones and he's always been this kind of character that he never really kind of liked. He was kind of like a dinky character and I was I was kind of when I heard about the casting uh, I I wasn't sure what to think about Black Jack Randall um, and, and Frank because I never I've never really liked the roles that he's played but when I saw him in this show he was like fully enveloped by Blackjack, and and I I really appreciate his portrayal of Blackjack Randall. So like when he's walking around set with like that whip, are you like kind of scared a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, as well, it's it's really interesting when you just talk to him uh, and you direct him um, when he steps, like when he's in his in his moment, uh, and you walk on set and you talk to him, you are talking to Blackjack. For a moment, I mean, he's he, you know he 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 um, he is obviously then can step out of it and and it's it's um, it's a, a very normal conversation. But when you're within the scene and you just step in for a little small adjustment, you are talking to Blackjack, and that's great. Or to or, or to Frank at that point. That was going to be my uh, next that, question. Yeah, how different must be when you talk to Frank? Yeah, but he's, I mean, he, I think he embraces both characters fully. What sold it for me was, was, were his eyes, you know, when, whenever you see him, when you, we already made note of it earlier, but when his eyes widen, um, in, in certain scenes, you, it just, oh, it captures you. But I do want to get back to Frank a little bit. Um, when Frank stopped near Craig Nadoon, you know there were a couple of like conspicuous events while he was a drive while he was driving. Can you sit, shed some light on like that really abrupt motorcycle drive by, and then this really cool historical inclusion of General Patton's death in 1945? Can you shed some light on that? Yeah. Okay. So the, the General Patton's death thing is actually funny because it was in the script, and I was trying to find a reason why it's there. I was like researching. I was looking for why is this in the script? What does it mean? What does it mean? Why is it exactly in that moment? So finally, I went to Ron Moore and said, "Hey, can you shed some light on this for me, please? Because I I'm lost here. What does that mean? What's this, what is it supposed to mean?" And he was just laughing and said, "Nothing. Nothing. It's just." a historical fact for that time and it's like a cool little fact and it's playing on the radio don't you know it doesn't mean anything <laughs> so that was kind of funny but then um uh the motorcycle that was an idea i had where i just thought okay so frank is stopping there and there's a lot going through his head and he's very emotionally very raw uh, he took that decision to leave and and all those things and then there's this motorcycle going by where there is a, a woman and a man sitting on it. And you could see it in two different ways. But on one hand, it's like it's a couple. It's a couple that's, you know, traveling together. It, they are together and they're basically passing him by. They're overtaking him. They're disappearing. They're gone. So it's like on one hand, it's like, okay, this is, this is my my life with Claire disappeared, gone. But then on the other hand, it could be, okay, so this is Claire, you know, and not that this is Claire on the motorcycle, but it, it's, you know, she, she is, you know, she's driving away. She disappears. She's gone. So it was like just a trigger for me. I wanted to evoke in him like this. Okay. It's, it's overtaking me. It's gone. Let's get to, let's, let's go to Craig Nadoon. Let's try, let's, you know, even if it's desperate and it doesn't make any sense and I don't believe in it, whatever, let's just do it. 
Wow, that's so much more beautiful than what I was thinking. <laughs> I was thinking, you know how people complain that they're on Facebook and they get jealous because their friend went to Jamaica and they have all these pictures of their fabulous vacation, but they're stuck in Boston in all this snow and they get jealous and they're like, man, look at them. They're having a great day and here I am stuck in Boston. And that's what I was feeling for Frank. I thought, you know, kind of along those lines, you just put it so much more eloquently and, de- <laughs> you know, a lot more depth. But, you know, just, of course, there goes a happy couple. Look at them. And I don't have that in my life right now. So I'm happy you brought even more depth because I, I'm i just <laughs> – I was thinking about being jealous of Jamaica on Facebook. <laughs> but I like how you brought up the fact that he went there just out of desperation. It, and I wanted you to confirm that. Is, is it something that he believed in that maybe – who knows – if I go to these rocks, maybe she'll show up. I mean, or, no, I don't it, think I don't think he went there thinking he's gonna sh- she's gonna show up. I don't think this was uh, that was his plan. I think he went there because it was the last straw. Like it's almost like closure. Let's go up there. Let's look at it. It's the, my last, my last. You know, it's it's the last thing to do before I let go. But then as he's moving up there, I think there is something happening within him. And that's the place which we have to, um, you know, acknowledge that this place in a way has some, I shouldn't say magic to it, but there is something going on. And suddenly he felt like, oh, my God, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe there is something true about it. But that moment didn't last very long. It was a really, it was a moment of desperation. I don't, it was really out of desperation. I don't think he went up there to say, okay, so let's see if I go up there, maybe I find her. Is Claire in the same mindset? Is she running up there thinking, oh my God, um, if I touch these rocks, am I going to, am I going to be thrust back into 1945? Or is she just running because she's in shock? And after this potential rape scene that was, that happened earlier in, in in the, in the episode. No, I think Claire is in a completely different mindset. I think Claire has reached a point where she understood suddenly in a very painful way that she uh, abandoned herself and her her goal and what she wanted and her plan to go back to Frank. She abandoned that because she fell for this man. And I think there was uh, some very painful events that made that clear for her. And when she sees um, the, the stones, I think she really wants to go back. She wants to go back to Frank. Um, it's not just she wants to escape uh, whatever just happened to her, I think she feels she wants to go where she, you know, where she at that time believes she belongs to. So I think she absolutely moves up to those stones to try to get through and back to Frank. So as a Frank supporter, I want—I really want to drive this baby home. She was willing to leave Jamie to get back to, uh, to Frank. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I, I said yes. <laughs> so if we um, if we move kind of outside of this this ballpark, if you had to pick a favorite scene from any of the episodes that you've directed for Outlander, what would it be? Oh, oh, so many different scenes as well. I mean, I think one scene I really liked uh, for, from the wedding episode was the scene where they both undress. I thought that was, uh, I thought for me, a very interesting uh, and emotional and exciting scene to, to work. And I, I liked that a lot. Um, from the other scene, from the other episode, it's maybe the the least expected scene, but I ha- I really liked shooting the scene when uh, Monroe is coming and meeting the two of them up on the hill, um, where they having the picnic. Where he, you know, the 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 guy that comes with, that that doesn't have a tongue anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know exactly why I would pick that, but there were so many things about it it really takes place in the scottish environment as scottish as you get it with all its rain and weather and if you watch that scene you actually see how the weather disintegrates and they are really sitting in the rain and um, the wind is whipping and and everything and it just it's a scene that evolves from so many levels to um yeah no i think i think that that was definitely uh, a scene i liked 
who or what uh, may have surprised you for what they brought to the table during filming, like actors or crew, or, or is there something that you didn't anticipate and you something happened? You were like, wow, I can't believe how awesome that was. Well, I have to say um, what really blew me away was the crew in Scotland. They were such amazing, I mean, troopers, first of all, because we were shooting in the most crazy weather of rain and mud and cold and slush and everything. And they were just always having, you know, a good spirit and always like gung-ho to get it done. But what was really, really amazing is that for none of them, it seemed to be just a job. They all really, really felt we're telling the story. We're in for the story. They were really interested in the story. That was just amazing. That blew me away. That that doesn't happen all the time. Uh, that was that was great. And then from the cast, I was just as well blown away how solid actors they all were and how how open to play they were. And with play, I mean like explore crazy stuff, like going going you know out from what you usually you know you do one or two or three takes of something and then you're ready to try some stuff. They were really, really open to, to try things. I mean, all of them really. And I mean, particularly, you know, Tobias and, and Katrina and Sam were, were just, uh, I was blown away by their, by their performances and the way they approached it as well. Do you have a funny story or an extra little tidbit that you'd like to share with us that happened on set while filming? Uh, you know what? I really don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of, you know, tough stories about weather. And I mean, no, I, I don't really have a, a specific funny story. But one thing that might be fun to watch if you rewatch it maybe is when you see that scene um, – when uh, our guys get, um, uh, they're the grants that a big fight with the grants at night uh, in both sides now when they get attacked. Um, that we shot over several nights because we only had a few nights, a uh, few hours per night to shoot it. And it started raining and raining and raining. And where that, that took place turned after two days in a complete mud field. And if you see this, I mean, I'm pretty sure you picked it up, but if you look at it closely, it's like you have this mud pit where they're fighting. And then the next day, they're just walking on pristine grass because that was shot before. But that mud that turned into such a, such a mess that horses couldn't even walk anymore and we had those stunt people that were choreographing the fight and they were running and they were just slipping constantly it turned into complete comedy because every time they run and they were supposed to look scary they slipped and they fell and it was just it was unbelievable in terms of uh, hard working conditions. We somehow made it through and I was amazed how the crew made it through because, you know, every camera had to move from one side to another and it, you could barely walk through this. But, um, that was, that was pretty intense. I mean, I had to stand in the shower with my whole, uh, rain gear on to wash off the, the mud because you were just <laughs> completely uh, head to toe in mud. But again, that's where I have to say, um, the crew was just, you know, Great. Did you capture that fight scene the way that you wanted to, or did you have to alter it because of the the, the extreme yeah. conditions? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were compromises, but you know what? That's kind of what you have to do all the time. I mean, this is just part of the movie making process that you you know you have to you have to sometimes just do triage and figure out how you can get the best out of it despite the circumstances. And I love so, it because I feel like Scotland is a whole nother character in this show. And to be able to add those exactly, elements yeah. really helps that character get a get a shining moment. Yeah, absolutely. No, and it's true. I mean, it's, it's just a stunning, stunning, stunning uh, landscape. And maybe that's one of the reasons why I like so much the scene uh, with Monroe up on that cliff as well, because it just, it really gives you a feeling of where you are. Speaking of feeling, you know, the episodes that you directed, obviously the wedding in both sides now, it, it's an emotional roller coaster. You have the wedding and everything is beautiful and it reminds me of that song, everything is awesome. You know, it, it's it's great. 
and then you then you have both sides now where where Claire gets captured and potentially raped and and then she ends up in the clutches of Blackjack Randall and and then you have this crescendo of Jamie rescuing her there's a lot going on and you are in charge of all of that what i want to know is what were you trying to accomplish with both of those episodes in in other words what did you want the viewers to feel at the end of those episodes after they've watched them well, I think actually they are both roller coasters in different ways. Uh, one is m- more on a quieter emotional level and the other one is, is obviously much more out there in terms of like what's happening, the, the both sides now. But I think what I want to, what I was hoping, uh, to get across is that we feel both times with, um, with Claire about all those up and downs, how she ended up there, and particularly on on the wedding when she picks up those two rings, uh, like we we want to be with her and leave that episode with, oh my God, what have I done, and what is in store for me next? Like how do I how do I how do I get out of this, or how do I move on from this? And I think I think that's uh, that was the most. Um, you know, I think that was the kind of the through line for the whole for the whole episode. Well, I'd say you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was fun. You know, it was really a great experience to do so, but without giving anything away or without um, you know without spoiling everything. Um, the other two episodes I got to direct, the season finale and the one before that. Um, that is a challenge in a complete different way. It's a roller coaster as well, but in a complete different way. Uh, so that, you know, that is going to be kind of inter- interesting to look at because you have a complete different spectrum again, which, you know, is something I really love. I mean, I think, I think that's the great thing about Outlander too, is that you're, uh, moving from episode to episode. Uh, into different things in different emotional things and different areas and different locations it's um it's a, a a show that's evolving constantly and that's what i really love about it well i'm so excited to hear that you were able to direct those two episodes it gives us even more to look forward to <laughs> once the spring arrives and in addition to that what else do you have that's coming up for p- future projects for yourself you know, I have been working pretty hard um, on two uh, scripts, feature scripts that are um, both in development now. So they're both not greenlit at the moment, but that's going to happen anytime soon, ho- hopefully. <laughs> and then I just uh, directed one episode uh, of a new show uh, for CBS called Madam Secretary, which is a complete different, complete different uh, type of um project yeah. <laughs> what's it like actually going from outlander to madam secretary because uh, i've seen an episode of it and and i enjoyed it but it's it's you're right it's, it's, a com- it's, it's a complete it's a complete different thing but for me it's an interesting thing because what i feel as a director um what you need to be is you need to stay fit you need to stay nimble in a way and you need to be able to um get uh, and deal with different different types of stories and different types of characters and outlander was so out there in, on one spectrum and and madam secretary in a way is completely the opposite thing so i think just this is something um that is good for all people that that work in in you know film or television or whatever that it's that you kind of stretch into different into different directions and try different uh, different things to kind of be um, to stay to stay fit and aware in a way of what's going on as well. You are quite the Renaissance woman. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what I'm what I'm really excited about it is the two features that are coming up. So as soon as soon as they are greenlit, I'm happy to tell you about it. <laughs> but that that's what I'm really excited about. It so some yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be another challenge. We'll keep our fingers crossed for you for sure and send you lots of good luck vibes. And maybe, maybe we can get a chance to have you back on. I know, and talk about the next half of this season. Who <laughs> yeah, knows? That, that, that would be fun. And there's definitely some stuff to talk about it because that is, again, without giving anything away, I think there are some things that have never shown like that, never been shown like that on television like that before. So I think we'll have some things to talk about. 
<laughs> Basically, Blake, you ain't seen nothing yet. All right. <laughs> exactly. Well, Anna, thank you so incredibly much for taking the time to talk with us here on Outlander Cast. You are a treasure to the crew of Outlander and for us viewers. And it has just been such a, a pleasure to have you on here on the show. Well, thank you very much. It was fun. Where can uh, our listeners find you online or social media? So if they want to get in contact with you and tell you how awesome this interview was and how great of a director you are. Oh my God. I have to, I have to admit I'm a real social media uh, dinosaur. I do have a Twitter account. I'm not even sure what the name is, but I'm sure I can find it out. (laughs) I saw you on it and you tweeted one last day before Scotland. And it was like, I think the day before you left for Scotland. Yeah. Okay. So that was, that was probably the last tweet. I put on there, And that was like, how long ago? Uh, One and a half years ago. But you know what? I might use this actually as a, as a great opportunity to uh, actually look for my password and go back to Twitter. (laughs) Well, I hope I hope so. We will definitely send people your way. You will get tons of new followers. <laughs> well, again, thank right. you, Anna, for joining us. I really appreciate it. No, that was fun. What an interview. She was great. Oh, gosh. Thank you to Anna Forrester once again for, for joining us. That was awesome. Really, she gave so much insight into what it's like being on set, being there firsthand, chatting with the actors and leading them in such difficult and yet beautiful scenes. Yeah, having her talk about how technical it could be while filming those sex scenes you you, you know you feel like i mean you know obviously it's awkward right you know that you're you're going to be filming people who are naked and they're like pretending to bang and all this stuff and it's supposed to be this really wonderful romantic scene but it's really broken down to like she said like almost like a choreographed fight yeah, between the, not only the actors themselves, but then the camera operators to make sure that they don't get a little slip of something from the front. <laughs> so, but but for them to be able to do that and to make it still seem natural mm-hmm. blows my mind because really it was beautifully directed. And looking back on it now and knowing how painstakingly awkward they must have been thinking like, all right, three seconds here. Then I turn and I kiss and I stroke, but I keep my back to the camera. I know. I know. And then how about uh, learning about the mud pit, you know, at at that at that fight scene and how if you really paid attention to it, you'd be able to tell the difference between the mud pit and and like the, the, the spot of grass that they're on. You know, I can't wait to look back and see that. And, you know, the other thing I really liked about it, too, was that she was so enthralled and enveloped in the world of Outlander when she first started that she she was just frantically reading the book and frantically listening to the book just to just to get involved with it. You know, it's so funny. You go from hearing Christian Mallett, who we interviewed a couple of episodes ago, not even knowing anything about Outlander whatsoever, to now all of a sudden this lady being like, yeah, I, I heard about the job and I just I had to read it all. All immediately. I had to read it and I couldn't even read it quick enough. So I needed to get the audio book so I could listen to it while I wasn't able to read. I know. She she was great. And, and learning everything, you know, it kind of demystifies the show a little bit. Um, but, you know, for nerds like me, I, I think I like that. I like knowing the behind the scenes. I like knowing how they created this world. And she was able to bring that to our, our show and our podcast and to you guys, the listeners. I think that's great. So thank you so very much, Anna, for joining us. And we hope to talk to her again after we get to see the other episodes that she was able to direct. So we actually not only heard from Anna this week, but we also heard from another member of the Outlander team. Yes, we heard from Terry Dresbeck herself. And for those of you who do not know, Mary, my darling, could you help clarify? Terry is the costume designer. So all those beautiful outfits and totally spot on period pieces terry did oh and speaking of which Mm -hmm. my dad who has now watched i think maybe three episodes of outlander when he's come and babysat for us he was very concerned he was like mary do you think that (laughs) i I, I remember this (laughs) because we're mackenzie's so my dad was like mary do you think that they're wearing the appropriate like (laughs) colors on their kilts and I'm like, really, Dad? Really? Because you're watching this show and you don't think that they would have put that attention like into one of the most important things? 
Really, Dad? I'm, I'm sure they got it under control. Yes. Big fella. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah. Was... Anyway, Terry took time <laughs> out of her day because uh, apparently she's a listener and she enjoys our podcast. She took time out, out of our day after she heard our episode about the wedding. And, you know, we did have a little fun with how Claire looked in that wedding dress with the breasts everywhere, heaving and going everywhere. And in in the email she wrote, she, she said, just a note about season two, you are going to see a lot of painful, in quotation, <laughs> looking cleavage, as we were saying about Claire in, in that episode. In the 18th century, the fashion was to flatten the front of the torso as much as you possibly could and push the cleavage up as high as possible. Sometimes nipples were exposed intentionally. Wow. Whoa. Can I can I go back to that time and just see nipples everywhere? It'd be like Janet Jackson. I mean, it, no, except like classier, I guess. But still, oh, ouch, ouch. Anyways, she followed it up by saying, it may be easier for viewers to accept when they see an entire room of women dressed this way as opposed to one out of context. Then they will know that we aren't making a bad design, design decision, but are actually being historically accurate. And what I want to make sure that Terry and all of our listeners know is that we 100% know that every single piece of clothing that those actors are wearing is accurate and is definitely with the times because Terry knows her stuff. We've listened to her podcasts Mm -hmm. and been able to follow her online through different interviews. And this woman has taken so much time to just really understand the beauty and the craft of these pieces. I think I was more concerned about the bosom because mine has personally changed since I've been pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) And if I had to be um, pushed all the way up, God, I like can't even wear Spanx right now. I'm trying to think of wearing a dress that would flatten everything on the, on my, on my torso. I, I don't know how I could hand it, how I could stand. I don't think I could be part of the high high class women of the time. No, you couldn't. I don't. I don't think you could. Even at if all. I was born into it, because as I was just saying, my family, like my mom, did this great genealogy tree, and my ancestors literally were like the <laughs> the, the chiefs of Castle Leoc. Like that's what I would have had to wear. <laughs> I would have said, "I'm sorry. I think I'm going to go marry the stable boy, especially if he's Jamie." And <laughs> Because I do not want to have to wear that. Ouch, Charlie. That really hurt. <laughs> but I think, Terry, I, I'm excited to see this and to really know that that was in vogue. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about more about exposed nipples. Oh, gosh. No. <laughs> well, you know, it just goes to show you how different fashion changes oh, yeah. all the time. Well, we were, I'm un, I'm just blown away by it. Well, we already made fun of Lore Fod. Farquad, you know, and uh, the the white hair wig wearing guys, you know, yep. even fashion for men has changed over time. And thankfully, because I don't think I could get get away with one of those wigs either. There are some things right nowadays that I am all set with, such as Spanx. I you're, could get rid of that. You're all set with Spanx? Well, especially right now. I'm so pregnant. They make maternity Spanx. Do you understand? That is so mean. <laughs> that is the meanest thing ever. It's like you're already uncomfortable. You have Braxton Hicks. Your whole tummy, you have an alien inside of you. Let's squish it all in more so that you don't look chubby. <laughs> you know what I'm all set with now, too? What? The re- resurgence of like the mom jeans, you know, with the, with the high it, fronts. It's for a reason. I, but, you know, you see like 17-year-old oh, like girls, okay. like non- pregnant ladies wearing these things it's just like no that that doesn't look good i just like pajamas but nonetheless (laughs) enough of our rambling about clothing issues that i'm having (laughs) thanks to my my own heaving bosom um i'm just so thankful terry for your email and to help clarify oh get it clarify Uh, oh my gosh it was uh, so funny you did there (laughs) thank you um about about her ensemble and I think she's right I think because the shots were so close and it was just her talking with Jamie or her breathing I mean Claire was so anxious and nervous and had so many emotions going on at that point that you're watching her take these inhalations the entire time and you're like she's breathing oh I see boobs she's breathing I see boobs and (laughs) And I am so happy to fully understand that that was yeah, that's the, actually the like, look. Yeah, that was how it is. You know, like if Kim Kardashian was Ew. back there at that time, she'd be she'd be rocking. You know what that this dress too. would have been? What? This dress would have been the white or gold, blue or black dress of its time. <laughs> that's what it would have been. 
Oh my God. It would have been talked about. The, I've never seen the internet in more of a flutter than I've ever seen in my life. It was over a blue or white dress. I, st- I saw a white dress the whole time. I didn't see a blue dress. Okay. Well, I don't know what the hell the, the deal is. Well. <laughs> the internet literally freaked out. It did. It did. Oh, well, we are done freaking out ourselves. I know. <laughs> Just rambling. My goodness. But thank you once again, Terry. And I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode, everyone, for tuning in. And I hope that we continue to get some more insights from other people who work on the Outlander team. I agree. All right. What do you say, Kitty? You want to close out the show? Sure. All right, let's uh, let's get right on it. Once again, we want to thank you so very much for listening to Outlander Cast with Marion Blake. You can find us online on Twitter, on Instagram, and Facebook with the username OutlanderCast. And you can also go to OutlanderCast.com and check us out on our website. And for those of you who want to get the emails to us, you can get us at OutlanderCast at gmail.com. Most importantly... Please head on over to iTunes if you enjoyed this episode and leave us a rating and a review and share this with your friends. There are so many people out there who adore Outlander. Maybe they don't even know about Outlander. Now's the time to get those friends into the Outlander fandom, into our family. <laughs> yeah. Welcome. Welcome them into the family. You know, that's what we're all here for. So head on over to iTunes. You can search for us, Outlander Cast with yeah. Marion Blake. Rate us, review us. We've had so many good reviews as of late. I just want to thank every single one of you for taking the time to go ahead and do that. It, it's, it, it makes our day. It really does. And uh, also head to OutlanderCast.com. Check out the Marion Blake store. You check out all of our Outlander Cast swag, all the cool t-shirts we got. And uh, including the famous Sassanok wasted T-shirt, which <laughs> is just flying off the shelves, just at an uncontrollable rate. It's ridiculous. And all of those of you who are getting Sassanok wasted, <laughs> way to go! I can't. I can't even fit into Spanx. <laughs> Being pregnant is so tough. <laughs> Once again, everyone, thank you so much for listening. It really warms our hearts. It's Blake's birthday, and this is what he wanted to do. He said, I want to record Outlander Cast. <laughs> That's not a lie. That is actually the complete truth. We love you guys. Yeah, we love you too. It just it happens. Thank you so much. I'm Mary. My name is Blake. And you've been listening to Outlander Cast. <laughs>